It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. So it's hard to come to an end of any of my series, and uh, this is a very, very significant one, I think, for my soul for such an hour as this in my life. And uh, it's called Becoming Brave. And this is the final installment. I want to sort of reiterate as we're coming to a close, just the subtitle of this series, because I really like it. Stunning Composure While Staring at a World Crisis. And I, I'm, I know I'm not the only one that desires this right now. To truly be at rest and at peace, the world could go in whatever direction it chooses to go. But I know God wins. And I know God's power. And I know God has the upper hand. And I know he is in control. This message is very, very unique because it it takes on a certain idea that is so critical to our confidence as Christians. And so it's sort of this final puzzle piece I want to stick into this uh, grand picture of bravery. It's uh, called getting death-defying. And whether or not that's the best term for it, uh, it could be like getting a smile on your face for the grand chase, and that would be just as good of a title, but a little long. But it does fit. Getting death defined. When you start to defy death, when you can stare at death and smirk, you're in a good place. And when you can stare at the challenges in your life and you can laugh, when you can stare at difficulty, trial, tribulation, suffering, and rejoice— you know that your soul is in a healthy condition. When you face trial and you groan, you grumble and you complain, that's a signal to your soul that you're in an unhealthy state. It doesn't mean that you're not just one movement of repentance away from getting back to a healthy state, but it should trigger, it should send off a, a miniature alarm, if not a large alarm in your soul to say, hey, this isn't correct. You see, the, the believer is always cheerful, truly, in their soul, because they know that God turns all things for good. He know, they know that all of these things, even the things that are being worked against us for evil, actually are going to be used against the enemy, that this is actually to our advantage, and so that mentality is of the utmost importance in being brave. Philippians 1.21. Now, this is just a piece of the scripture, as many of you know, because the full scripture is to live as Christ, but to die as gain. I'm just emphasizing this one part, to die as gain. If you just focus on to die as gain, it does seem a little strange. To die as gain? Well, what does the world tell you? Preserve your life. You don't want to die. You want to somehow find the fountain of youth and live forever in this state, in your old body. And yet we're a new man in this old body and we're agonizing. We're desiring. We're yearning for our new body. We're yearning to be home with Christ. But as long as he has us here, we're going to thrive and we're going to rejoice and we're going to get the most out of it. But when God calls us home, when it's our time to exit this body and to enter into our eternal rest, oh, wow, that's gain, that's advantage, that's something better. And so that's a, it's part of our mentality as believers is that we know that everything works to bring about an even greater situation. And even in the worst situation, which to most people would be dying, I mean, that, that's like as bad as it gets to most people, right? That's even better than living on this earth. And so isn't that an amazing? It's a mentality that we need to adopt as believers, and it's very, very important to our life. 
So I'm going to introduce you to some Greek words. This is one of the root verbs uh, in the Greek uh, for a key concept I want to build on. It's uh, dio, and it means to chase or to be chased after. And that is going to be a root of another word that you'll begin to recognize, dioko, which means to energetically, it's a verb as well, to energetically exert in pursuit of an objective. I like that. You know, to dioko is to, I'm going after that. It also means to drive fiercely towards a goal. But then it also means to be chased, to run or flee, to press forward, to be harassed, to be hounded, to be persecuted. So if you're being persecuted in the New Testament, this is the word for being persecuted. Isn't it interesting that it means to have someone energetically exert in pursuit of an objective, which is to destroy you, to hurt you. Isn't that an interesting use of the word? It means to drive fiercely towards a goal. Well, guess who that goal is? It might be to destroy you. And that's a hard one, you know, to be persecuted, to have something chasing after you and you're running or fleeing, to have someone press forward or to harass you or to hound you. I don't know. Most of us, that isn't a positive, okay? That's not a good thing, right? So 2 Timothy 3.12 uses this word, dioko. And it says, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But that word for persecution is dioko. And so what does it mean? All that live godly in Christ Jesus will be chased, will be hounded, will be pursued. And there is something that is going to come after us. Now, first blush, I don't know that many of us, when we first come into the kingdom of heaven, like that scripture. We're just like, what? I don't think that means me. And yet, God, I think, wants to bring us to the point where we can look at that scripture and smile. And we can say, all right, good. Now, are you in denial when you say that? Are you in denial when you say, oh, that's a good scripture. I love 2 Timothy 3.12. I love knowing that I'm going to be chased. I'm going to be hounded. I'm going to be pursued because something wants to destroy me. Is it possible to actually have a lens that you could put on a pair of glasses and you could look at that same idea and it would turn it into something that is positive? You see, this is how the kingdom of heaven works, because the answer is yes. There is a set of glasses. It's called the truth. It's called the gospel. It's called the reality of our resurrected, enthroned Savior. In other words, he sits at the right hand of majesty. He has given us the Holy Spirit. All things are beneath his feet. He has the name that is above all names, and he's going to come again for us very soon. And so our perspective is very different than the world's perspective. You put anyone else in the world and they find, they find out that they're being hunted, chased, and hounded, and they're in desperate straits. They're in mourning. They're in woe and agony. But a Christian responds very differently. So we've learned a couple Greek words, you know, dio and diokos, and now we're going to give the noun version of it, which is diogmos, and that is translated as persecution. But one of the other ways that you could say it is the great chase. This is what we're being set up for. Many of us have wondered, okay, Jesus saved me. He has set me free from the bondage I was in. He set me free from the just condemnation that was over my life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for doing that. And then we're thinking, so why don't you just take me home? Why am I still here? Why don't you bring me to where you are? Because, hey, you did your thing. I responded. Let's get me out of here. And especially when we find out that, no, I want you to stay here, Eric, for a season. What? Why, why would you want me here? Because I want you to be a part of something, the great chase. <laughs> like, uh, 
wait a minute, God, they're chasing me. They're hounding me. Get me out of here. He says, no, no, no. That's exactly what I want you to be there for. I want you to be in the great chase. Isn't that an interesting statement that God wants us to be chased? Why would God want me to be chased? Well, that sounds funny because there's two different ways you could use that word chased. One is C-H-A-S-T-E, and you know they, that would still be a good word biblically, but this is C-H-A-S-E-D. You are being hunted, hounded, and pursued. Why would that be good? Let's look at 2 Timothy 3.12. Uh, I don't think this is the right uh, scripture reference, by the way, guys. Uh, so hopefully we find the right scripture reference as we go through this. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Now, that's in the book of Acts, but for whatever reason, I have the wrong uh, scripture reference on there. So forgive me for those of you that are seeing this uh, on uh, in a video format. You're like, what is that? Uh, and yet what we see in this is an incredible picture of why the chase is a very, very important thing to our lives. So let's look at the amazing effects of the chase. So I'm calling it the great chase. And what does that lead to? It leads to a scattering. But instead of it being a scattering, I want you to look at it in a different way. It's a positioning. And then what does that lead to? A witness. They're going to share Jesus where they got repositioned. And what's that going to lead to? A harvest. A great harvest is going to come about ultimately because of the great chase. You see, if everyone just clusters where they're at, then they're not going to be in position to bring in that great harvest. So what is the chase going to do? It is going to scatter or to spread or to reposition everyone where they're supposed to be. So if you see someone chasing you, what do you do? Well, you say, okay, Lord, great. They're going to chase me. So I'm going to run and I'm going to find a different place to call home. And when you find that new place, you're going to share Jesus in that new place. And what's going to happen in that new place, which you could even say God has put you and you could say, well, how did God put me there? Because I was chased by the enemy there. And that's all part of the beauty of God's ways. Even what the enemy is meaning as an evil thing in your life, to get you away from sharing Jesus where you were. So he's going to chase you. He's going to persecute you. You're actually going to be moved strategically to the exact spot God actually wanted you. And then when you bear witness of him there, there's a great harvest and God's purposes are accomplished in and through the enemy's devices. That is the brilliance of God's ways. And that's the consolation, that's the encouragement that the Christian always has. So Acts 8, 1 through 4. So there's our scripture reference. So we at least have it now. Sorry about the previous uh, 2 Timothy one. At that time, a great persecution, I made that bold for those of you that are seeing this via video, arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. So that you have that persecution, you have that great chase. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria. Therefore, as a result of the chase and the scattering, therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Do you see the brilliance in this? Do you see why when something comes into your life and it chases you into a new circumstance, it chases you into a new situation, it chases you away from something that was maybe comfortable, but into something that's maybe uncomfortable, 
but you can rejoice. Why? Because you are going to represent Jesus there. And God's like, hey, I have you right where I want you. And But the enemy wants to say, I have you right where I want you. I chased you from over here, and now you're where you don't want to be. Don't fall for that. You see, when you get scattered, when you get spread into a different place, you need to know that God is in total control. So even though it may look like the enemy has the upper hand, he does not have the upper hand. God is leveraging what the enemy is meaning for evil, and he is converting it. He is translating it. He was doing a flip on it, like a judo flip. He is taking the momentum of the enemy and sticking the enemy on his back. So let's talk about the principle of the chase. The enemy chases, and God leverages the chase to accomplish his ends. The enemy chases, God's people run and providentially scatter into position and then become unstoppable and undeniable messengers of truth in their strategic God-assigned positions. And that's how it works. So let's finish with this scripture, Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Do you believe that? See, most of us know the scripture, but do we believe the scripture? Do we believe that even when we're chased, even when we're hunted, even when we're hounded, that this works together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose? But I thought that was the enemy. It was. The enemy's movements being leveraged by a God who's greater than all the enemy movements. As some people have liked to say, the, if this is a chess game, God can put the enemy in checkmate with one move. He always controls the board. And for whatever reason, God knows these dynamics, that we are sheep amongst wolves, but he is not concerned about that. In fact, he says, rejoice, O little sheep. He knows that we are seemingly at a disadvantage in this natural realm, but he then encourages us that we are not at a disadvantage. We're at the advantage. We have the authority of Christ. We have the attitude of Christ. We know that all of these things are going to turn and work for good. So therefore, we can be cheerful. We can be rejoicing at every step of the journey. That is an attitude that sets us apart from the rest of the world. We have something, and it is beautiful, and it should be at the core of our being. So no matter what we face, we can rejoice. No matter what we go through, we can just say, hey, God, where are you positioning me now? One of my favorite statements is from the Chinese underground when they talk about being placed in prison and saying, oh, I now have a new mission field. When they are set in the prison system, they look at the prison system as being their mission field. I mean, hey, uh, if, the, if the government wants to participate in what God's wanting to do, which is spread the gospel, great. Where do you want me now? Oh, right. In a prison? Great. That's my new mission field. How do you deal with that if you're the enemy? It's really frustrating for the enemy that no matter where we are placed, that becomes our new mission field. Guys, we have been given everything we need for life and godliness. We have the ability to have stunning composure in the midst of a world crisis, but we need to reach out and grab these tools, grab these elements of truth and exercise them in our life. So I've been going through what I call 10 facts that make a believer brave, and we're going to finish that list off today. So here's the 10. These are all promises. God promises to, number one, make you inwardly doom-proof. Number two, 
give you a PhD in good news. Number three, enable you to take any hit the enemy can dish out. God promises to, number four, make you spiritually unstoppable, make you above reproach. God promises to, number six, put you on the offensive line. I'm sorry, put you on the offensive in this battle. Offensive line is fine. Number seven, make you a master strategist. Number eight, God promises to build you into an athlete of mercy. Number nine, God promises to maintain a Windex clean conscience. And finally, number 10, God promises to enable you to thrive even amid the chase. Guys, we have something to rejoice over. We have been chosen by the living God to represent his name in a world that may at the present moment not want to hear it. We have been selected to represent truth in an hour where lies seem to have the upper hand. We have been commissioned to go forth into a world that may kill us, even if we do it. But is there any greater privilege than to lay down our lives for the one that gave up his life for us? To die is gain. Don't want to forget the first part of that. To live is Christ. So as long as we're here, let's make sure we have Christ and the fullness of him. But if we have that calling home and if God says your time is now, we rejoice in that. We don't bemoan that. That is a privilege to go to be with him. Let's just remember that. Let's behave as Christians. Let's think as Christians. Let's talk as Christians. Let's live as Christians. God's blessings. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.